Amen. You may be seated. Oh, all right. Now the kids are dismissed to Children's Church. Some of you would love to have a mute button on me, wouldn't you? You just press a button, you can't hear me anymore. My wife would like one of those sometimes, not all the time, but every once in a while. A mute button is, but I left mine on there. That's why I mentioned that. I know none of you want a mute button on me. I know better than that. We are going to continue uh, this topical study of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and um, are going to get a little bit of a wide shot at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, something of a resource that will hopefully help you out. And then also we're going to just key in very specifically on one um, topic, one aspect of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us. Would you bow with me one more time? We'll ask God's uh, clear involvement during our study. Heavenly Father, we would praise you for the wonderful plan that you have, the plan of Jesus Christ coming to this earth 2,000 years ago, proving that he was God, dying on that cross. We will celebrate his broken body and his shed blood in just a few moments during communion. We praise you for your plan of Jesus Christ leaving and something better coming, and that is the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for how we as followers of your son can benefit from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I have already cried out even this day, that the Holy Spirit's ministry would be very clearly seen through the teaching of your word. We would ask for that once again. God, would you please allow me not to get in the way, but hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit be clearly, wonderfully ministering in our midst through his teaching ministry. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out by asking a question, and it's uh, one that will pertain to quite a few of you. Sometimes there are some expressions that we will hear throughout our life, and yet we really don't quite know what they mean. Maybe they come from a few years back, and um, we don't know how they gained popularity, but there are certain expressions that we will hear, and we don't quite understand them, and yet... Even though we don't understand some expressions, we will incorporate those right into our own vocabulary. Expressions like um, a stitch in time saves nine. Now, some folks who are good with uh, sewing might know where that came from or the history behind it, but maybe you don't. I want to suggest to us that oftentimes we incorporate certain expressions that we don't know what they mean into our vocabulary and even beyond that, there are sometimes there are expressions that we will use, and this is even worse than not understanding them. Sometimes there's an expression that you will use that you don't even agree with. You don't even think that expression is honestly something that's true, and yet you will put it in as a part of your life. Now, I have a very clear example of something that I have seen, something that I've seen people say again and again, whether in person or else in some kind of a movie or TV program. And that's when two kids get to fighting, usually boys, right? And they're roughing, they're roughing it up and they're fighting and somebody goes and breaks them up and they ask one quick question for explanation and then oftentimes before they're done, they do something with those two boys. They say, now I want you to say what to the other person? They want you to say I'm sorry. 
And they'll wait. We're going to wait here until you say you're sorry. Now, where I'm going with this is, th is, is this place. Nobody genuinely believes that kid is sorry. I, I will not ask you to raise your hand. And how many of you have made your own kid or someone that you were an authority over say you're sorry reluctantly? I think sometimes it kind of sounds like, I'm sorry, kind of like that. And yet some people will say, you're going to say you're sorry before you're going to go anywhere else. And we make them get the words out of their mouth, even though if we were honest with ourselves, we would know that they did not genuinely believe the sincerity of that child. Maybe you've got an angel child, and they genuinely made that turn in that short time when they were rebuked, and they were genuinely sorry. But I think that oftentimes when someone forces someone to say, I'm sorry, I think oftentimes we don't even believe it. I want to suggest to us this morning with one specific area in the ministry of the Holy Spirit that there are some things that we will say that oftentimes we don't understand. There are even some things that we will say and honestly, we don't even believe them sometimes. We get to that point where we, we say it and we know it's a common thing for us to voice and somebody that we respect said it, but sometimes we're not even sure if we believe it ourselves. And before we get to our text and before our main application, I will just reference the Lord Jesus Christ when he walked in this world. Because Jesus Christ, when he was in this world, would say something commonly when he taught he said something that sounded like this. You have heard it said, and then he would state a common command or statement. And then Jesus would say what? He'd say, but I say unto you. And he would give some additional commentary. Jesus Christ would talk about a command or something that was put out for people um, to have as a part of their life. And then he would say, but I say unto you. And he would make it more clear. And I want to suggest to us, and this is a pretty big theme, that we as men, we have an incredible ability to mess everything up. Even the commands of God. He spells them out. He writes them on stone for man. And man can take them and they can dumb them down to where they're not actually following them at all. And they can do whatever they want and justify it in their own brain. Or to the other end of the spectrum, Man can take it and become very legalistic. Lots of us have within us a tendency to become legalistic, and we see that in Jesus' day when they would take a command and they would add to it and add to it again and add to it again. And so Jesus Christ did not come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. I want to go ahead and do a little bit of review of what we've been talking about for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of camped out on Galatians 5.16 that says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Very quickly, by way of review, we talked previously about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a force. A lot of us have that picture of Star Wars in our mind. Use the force, Luke. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. But instead, the Holy Spirit is a what? Do you remember? He is a he, is what we said previously. The Holy Spirit is a he. And then also, we talked about the Holy Spirit in that believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
And we mentioned a number of aspects of what this means for us, what this opens up to us. But just as a quick summary of what we talked about last time, all believers, I believe, all Christians have within them a desire to walk in the Spirit and not to gratify the flesh. And so we ask that key question, if everyone is a follower of Jesus Christ, has this desire to walk in the Spirit, then why do so many of us fail? And we got into some specifics with this, and we talked about a big part of whether you are walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh has to do with what you are setting your mind on. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. To sum it up, we have a choice of what we're going to set our mind on. And if you are setting your mind on garbage on a regular basis, if you're setting your mind on uh, junk for hours on end, and then you think that when you need it, you're going to snap your fingers and be walking in the Spirit, you are fooling yourself. What we choose to set our mind on much of the time will have a major influence on whether we are filled with the Spirit or whether we are gratifying the desires of the flesh. All right, all that to bring us to our text and what we're going to talk about today. If you would take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. By the way, if you do not have a Bible, a physical Bible of your own, um, let me go ahead and tell you to take that Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you. There should be ones uh, spaced out. And if you do not have your own Bible, we want for everybody to have a Bible. And so please feel free to take that if you do not already have a Bible as our gift to you. Take that Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 or your own Bible or your device and, and uh, find it. Now, I mentioned we're going to have a broad talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is coming in the form of a handout that came in your bulletin. If you got a bulletin, I think just about everybody should have a handout that looks something like this, and it says the Holy Spirit at the top, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers. When I was going through how we would key in on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, these were the things that I had to pick from, many, many items um, on the back there, we, you see some bold printed things. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit. The believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. At the time of salvation, every believer is given spiritual gifts. And then it talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit, how he teaches. The Holy Spirit guides us, gives assurance, and prays. I wanted to put this in your hands for some deeper study for yourself, and I hope that you will use that. Um, I will say that if you're one of our graduates from high school in the past several years, um, you were given a MacArthur Study Bible, and the MacArthur Study Bible has um, exhaustive Bible references to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so that will be a help for you. Now, that's the broad area. What I would like to do is go ahead and key in on one specific area of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about this um, This problem that we face with sometimes not understanding an aspect and even with some people not believing an aspect of the Holy Spirit. If you are around a good church uh, for very long, you may hear regarding the teaching of the Holy Spirit a statement like this, and this is what we're going to key in on today. You cannot understand the Word of God properly 
apart from the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, probably nobody would stand up and object to that, but I want to suggest there are some things that pertain to this statement that are, that are a struggle for us. And we need to be very, very careful that we don't lose our credibility by talking about a statement like this where others would say, well, clearly you don't know what you're talking about. The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. And a statement like this sounds good until we come to um, some kind of a, let's say, a, a, a documentary on history or the Bible or some kind of a philosophy or religious teaching. And then they will go and find experts, say on the Discovery Channel or on PBS. They will find an expert in an area of the Bible. And when you look at that expert, you will come to the conclusion that they do not agree with you on the area of salvation. And yet, as they go through this documentary, they are giving out information left and right. Things that might be in the original languages. Some things that you could have never, you don't think you could have ever figured out for yourself. Maybe someone who teaches at a higher institution, and yet they are not saved. They are not someone that agrees with us. They have a different view on salvation. And so when we see a situation like that, and the expert that they would hold up there, how do we say a statement like this? You cannot understand the Word of God properly apart from the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to jump into this specific um, um, question today, and here's my goal. My goal is that it will give you a confidence when you go and study God's Word, that you will go to God's Word with an expectation that not only you will learn something, not just something academic, but that you will learn something about the God who saved you. And we're going to see how this is a true statement. Now, I went ahead and um, I've, had us, I've had us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I put the verse up here in the, um, the New American Standard Bible, okay? Because there's one word there that's underlined on the screen for you that I thought relayed this idea very well for what we want to learn. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about this. Let me go ahead and read verse 14 for us. The Bible says, The natural man, or the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write down some references if you're comfortable writing in your Bible right now, you might draw some lines in your Bible because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 Corinthians 1. And what my desire is, is to build a confidence in you of this statement. A confidence in you that when you go to the Word of God, if you are a Christian, you are approaching it in a different way than those that are not followers of Jesus Christ. First of all, we need to define what a natural man is, all right? The natural man, it says here in 2.14. There is one other time in the New Testament that we find this same kind of verbiage or the same uh, kind of wording, the natural man, and it's found in Jude 19. Don't turn there. I'm just going to let you know that in Jude 19, it refers to a man, and here's what it says. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people that are, don't miss this, devoid of the spirit 
So when we're defining what a natural man is, it is someone who is devoid of the Spirit. That's where we want to jump off of to understand this. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, in verse number 12, look at that with me. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. So this is really just highlighting what we've already said. Those that have received the Spirit of God aren't receiving as the world receives it. But we're getting it in a very, very different way. So 1 Corinthians 2.12 is the first reference for you to write down. And then we're going to jump back to chapter 1 and look at verse 18. Because we need to define not only natural man, but we need to define the word foolishness. And I hope this isn't too, um, uh, you know, too tedious for you as we go through this. I'm trying to give us confidence in this theme and also in 1 Corinthians 2.14. We're going to use the best commentary that we have on the Bible, which is the Bible. The best commentary we have on the Scriptures is the Scripture itself. So look back in chapter 1 and verse 18, and we're going to define this word uh, foolishness. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here in 18, we see the word of the cross is folly or is foolishness. And then look at verse 23 with me of chapter 1. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So there's that word folly again or foolishness. Now, I want to take these ideas and go to chapter 1 and verse 29 to help us make the connection. Look at 29 with me. It says, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So we've defined what the natural man is, and now we're seeing that anything that is from God is actually foolishness. And in 1 Corinthians 1.29, it gives us the reason for why it is foolishness. And the reason is, is because the work of the cross, here's what it does for us that are, that are saved. The work of the cross gets you to a place where you will boast in nothing before your God except for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we have to get. The, mat the natural man cannot get there. He has so many other things that he is putting his, um, he's putting, he's laying for a foundation. He has so many other legs that are holding up everything that's important to him. But for you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to get to the place where the work of the cross gets rid of the pride so that there is no human boasting that you can do. As you stand before your maker someday, you will not even be tempted to say, yes, I understand the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but let me tell you what I did after that. Oh, Heavenly Father, let me tell you what I did to add to the work of the cross. That will never cross your mind. And it's not just a switch as far as being saved um, versus not being saved. But it's a maturity question. As we mature, more and more, we will put less stake in anything of ourselves and we'll put more stake in the work of the cross. And so the spiritual man, 
1 Corinthians 2.14, the spiritual man will not boast in anything except for Jesus Christ. The spiritual man is one who solely and completely places anything good that you would do, any ability that you have, you would place it so far behind you. And when you would stand before the Father, the only thing that you would boast in would be the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. This is one of the reasons that Jesus Christ told us to remember his sacrifice. That's why we, on a regular basis here at Calvary, will observe the Lord's Supper. Now, in contrast to that, the natural man is going to reject setting aside his good works. If I take, if the natural man takes the best parts about him and pushes them aside, he's going to see this as foolishness. And that's where we're connecting 1 Corinthians 2.14. What does man value? Apart from the follower of Jesus Christ, man values his intellect. Man values his resourcefulness, how he can get from A to B in an incredible way. Man will value his own strength. This is what man values. And I use the New American Standard Bible version because the very last word, it changed it from discerned to appraised. What we are doing is constantly taking an appraisal of our life. And even though you are a wonderful group of folks, and many of you are obediently producing great fruit for our Father, none of that is something that will hold merit in the eyes of God the Father. We have to get to a place when we are approaching God's word where we do not hold anything else up before God except for the work of Christ on the cross. We are appraising everything and it is only the shed blood of Jesus Christ that makes us um, acceptable in the eyes of the Father. And even beyond that, are you ready for the connection? That helps us understand God's word. And we're gonna go a little bit deeper with that. The natural man cannot understand this because his appraisal faculty is sick. And when you and I speak of the value of the second part of the Trinity, crucified, they see it as foolishness that flies in the face of what man values, their abilities and their strength and their intelligence. And so let me just tell you, if we want to boast in anything, brothers and sisters, If you want to boast in anything at all in this world, we must only boast in who? Say it out loud. Jesus Christ. That is who we boast in. If you want to be proud, there is nothing else besides Christ. But in order to get there, yes, you have to be a spiritual man. You have to have accepted Christ as your Savior. But perhaps in your maturing as a follower of Jesus, you still have some things that have to be knocked out. Some areas of pride. Oftentimes, our areas of strength will relate exactly to our areas of weakness, and we do not want to let those go. And so you will understand applying this. You know that you have the Spirit when you are studying the Word of God when certain themes that are found all throughout Scriptures that would repel the natural man because it flies in the face of what he values. Themes that would repel you normally, but now you are actually drawn to them. 
And I'm gonna give you three. If you're taking notes, write these down. We will not spend a lot of time on them. But these are areas where the natural man cannot completely comprehend these. And the spiritual man can, but it might depend what maturity level you are at. Hopefully you're growing in Christ and leaning more and more on him. Here's the first one. Boasting in our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my power, Jesus says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. The natural man hates that. Those apart from Jesus Christ hate this teaching. That the power of God is only going to come through our weaknesses. Now just to give us the proper context for this, weaknesses there means insults. Or how about this one? Feeling trapped, God's power will come when you are feeling trapped. It can also mean when there is incredible stress in your life. When you have incredible stress that has come your way, and I know I'm speaking to quite a big group here of folks that face stress. When you have incredible stress that comes your way, that is an area where you can claim this promise of Jesus Christ, where it says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. The next one, the greatest among men are those that serve others. A great foundational verse for this is Philippians 2.3, do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Now, I'm constantly saying we're trying to build credibility with what we're saying regarding Bible principles. So, with this one here, Can the natural man take this statement here, the greatest among men are those who serve others? Can the one who doesn't know Jesus Christ take this and apply it in some way? I want to suggest to us, yes, they can. They can take this statement. The natural man might have a practice of this with the motivation of, here it is, just making himself feel better. A lot of folks that don't know Jesus Christ can feel a whole lot better in their life if they're helping out others if they're serving other people. So they might put others before themselves, but the motivation would be very, very different because the spiritual man is going to live generously towards others. The spiritual man is going to have this kind of mind in himself because it was in the mind of who? Jesus Christ. Have this mind in you which was also in Jesus Christ. The greatest among you are those that serve. And then the last one, and I'm gonna... Uh, This is, of course, multiple sermons we could preach on loving your enemies. An enemy would be defined from from God's word as one who actually is trying to harm you in some way. And in Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, can the natural man take this one and apply it? Can they say, yeah, I understand what God's word means there. Because even the natural man can say, I'm going to love my enemies. Because the natural man may forgive his enemies, but the motivation might be because he does not want his life to be eaten up by bitterness. That would be a motivation that the natural man has. And yet the spiritual man is going to live graciously towards his enemies because God has lived graciously towards you. You who were once his enemy. 
You see, the spiritual man takes in the Word of God, and if you want to learn something that the natural man cannot, you have to approach it from the foundation of grace. I have been saved. God has forgiven me for things that are incredible, and therefore I apply love my enemies. Therefore I apply um, the greatest among men are those who serve others. And to love them, just to camp out a little bit on that, love your enemies, to love them actually means practical acts of kindness for them and not just praying for them because I know what some of you are thinking when you say praying for your enemies. Yeah, I'm praying that they, praying they lose their job, you know, I'm praying that they get what's coming to them. I'm praying, no, no. What God means there is that we pray for, are you ready for this, Christians? And maybe you're not at a maturity level where you can take this in. You pray for your enemy that good will come to them. And I'm glad nobody made the sound out loud. (gasps) Really? Praying for my enemy that good would come to them? That is what Jesus Christ has commanded us to do. The natural man cannot take that in. This is just one little example of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit And we'll see the Holy Spirit and his ministry come fleshed out all throughout our next study. Um, Starting in the first of 2018, we're going to be jumping into Ephesians. And we're going to see the ministry of the Holy Spirit just peppered all throughout that. And maybe you can take that little handout that you got and do a little prep for that. But hopefully this will give you confidence when we say something like, the natural man cannot understand the word of God like the spiritual man can because they can read the stories about David and Goliath and about Daniel in the lion's den and about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. They can get into the languages. They can get into a lot of specifics. But you, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, what you have the ability to get is something of learning of God about his character And it's so that you can be more like him. So what I want you to do is have a confidence. What can you do? You can have a confidence when you go to God's word. And if I thought it would help to get on my knees and beg you, I would get on my knees in front of all of you and beg you to be daily in God's word. Not just because it's a good practice Not just because there's some great principles in there, but because the God who gave his son to you has not only given us the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but he has given us his word. This is what we have. And we take it for granted so often. And some people cannot figure out why it seems that some folks seem to be super Christians. There is no one who is anything close to a super Christian, if I can use that word, apart from the taking in of God's word. You want wisdom? You want discernment? You want an understanding that is beyond your years? Take in this book and talk to the Holy Spirit ahead of time and say, God, teach me something about yourself. Approach the scriptures with an anticipation that you will get something amazing because of the grace that defines you. I don't know what you have for a practice. Maybe you just go through the Bible Uh, Maybe you use the daily bread. The new daily breads are out this week, by the way, for December, January, and February. Grab a daily bread. There's a Bible reading schedule in there. Maybe you do something else. But let me challenge you, as you go to God's word, to go to it with such a confidence 
And even if you don't feel it that day, there's something to do with the faithfulness that comes along with studying God's word. So um, don't set that aside. Even if you're not feeling it, stick to it. But pray and ask God to teach you something that only you can understand because you know something of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we're gonna go ahead and turn our uh, attention to the Lord's Supper.